We were created to experience all the fullness of relationship with God. We were created to know the full depths of peace and joy, of love, and hope, life. We were created to, to, to not live with guilt and remorse and shame. We were created to know God in the depths of our being and to know the fullness of the blessing of God. But we rejected God. Our sin corrupted God's plan for us. And in that rejection, where we said, we know better than God how to find those things, and, and, and we have a better idea of, of what we need than God does. And, and as soon as we, we cut ourselves off from God, what we didn't realize is that we cut ourselves off from the source of peace, joy, life. And we've been living with the consequences of that ever since. We, we became enemies of God. We rejected God. We turned our backs on God. And you would think that in the context of that, that God would reject us. I mean, that's what we do with other people, isn't it? I mean, after a while... Uh, of being rejected by people, we come to our senses and say, enough. I, I'm, I'm not going to put myself in that position anymore. I'm, that's it. I stop. And, and we close ourselves off from other people with nothing else, just for our own safety, for our own well-being, for our own uh, mental sanity. And even sometimes... I would say probably on our worst days, we say to people, all right, when all this falls apart, all the ways in which I've warned you, all the things I've said about my concerns for you, all of, all of these things that I've said to you and tried to help you with, when all of that finally falls to pieces, don't come running to me. Right? You know, you've got to deal with it. I'm try- I tried to tell you. You're on your own. On our best days, we say to people, look, um, when this all falls apart, I want you to know I'll be here for you. I, I'm, I'm, I'll be here waiting for you. I'm ready. When everything falls to pieces, when all the stuff that I've warned you about, I won't say I told you so. I will on my worst days, but I won't say it on my best days. And, you know, but I, I'm here for you. I, I'm waiting here. All you got to do is let me know. And we have a... I think we have a suspicion that that's what God does with us. That, okay, if God doesn't reject us, then he sits back and he waits for us to come to him. But the reality of the gospel is that God doesn't wait for any of us. He comes to us. God doesn't sit back and wait for us to figure things out and then turn to him. He comes to us so that we can figure things out and be embraced by him. And ultimately, the cross is about God coming to us to set us free. 
The cross is not for good people, it's for bad people. I think we sometimes forget that. The cross is not for people who have done enough good things, have have indicated an interest in God, and God sees that and says, all right, then there's enough of them, I'll send Jesus. One of the things Paul keeps saying in this passage is, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies of God, Christ went to the cross. While we were rejecting God, Jesus. God doesn't wait for anybody. God isn't waiting for us to do something so that it will trigger his grace. The whole point of his grace is that he acts on it even when, even though we've rejected him and declared that we don't want him and really are enemies of him. Brenda Manny says, you know, when you think about the cross, you realize in the grace of God, really, God has no taste. I mean, you know, you would think that God would say, well, you know, I got to draw the line somewhere. But he doesn't. You know, he, it, it's just grace. It just pours out of him. It, and, and God comes to us in the cross in grace. Over and over and over again, we experience God's grace. And it has nothing to do with us accomplishing anything, doing anything, being at any state of mind. It is simply the grace of God poured out to us. And the, and the response that God is looking for is faith, trust. Again, through this passage, Paul says, by faith, by faith, by faith. Before this, he's talking about Abraham, by faith. Faith, trust is the response that God is looking for. It is simply saying, I believe that God is who he says he is. I believe that God does what he promises to do. I believe that. I might not understand all of it. I might not have it all figured out. But in my heart of hearts, I believe. That opens the door for us to experience the grace that has already been offered to us. And as I've thought about that, it seems to me that maybe the most, the clearest evidence of our trust, our faith in the grace of God is gratitude. When you come to verse 11, Paul says, we rejoice in what God has done for us. And really, in a sense, what is rejoicing but expressing our gratitude, our thanksgiving? We're celebrating what God has done because we believe it's true. And in, and in gratitude, that's really what we're doing. It, it, it's, I think it's impossible to truly trust God and not be grateful to God. It is the gratitude that we express to God that, exempt, that is really the outgrowth of our faith. And, and I, you know, I suspect that if anyone... I think it's a sign of, of holiness. I mean, you look through the ages of people that, that you admire, that people you know, people you've read about, and every one of them, the one consistent thing is they're grateful, thankful people. They have recognized that when we talk about the fact that the cross is for bad people, 
That's not just talking about people out there. That's talking about all of us in here. We're the bad people that needed the grace of God. And until we come to grips with that, until we truly believe that, I don't know that we will ever truly receive the grace that God offers us, and we certainly won't have faith and trust, and we certainly won't be grateful. I think that's why Karl Barth said that in one way or another, you can trace every sin back to ingratitude. Ponder that for a moment. I I think that's true. You know, we don't really... We don't really feel grateful to God for what he's done for us. We feel like we've earned it or we feel like we deserve it or something. And so, you know, when you feel that way, you're really not going to be very grateful. It's just what he's supposed to do. And that's the whole point of grace. It's not what he has to do. It's not what he's supposed to do, but he just does. And when you grasp that, it makes us grateful. Craig Barnes, who's now the president of Princeton Seminary, said that when he was a pastor, he would tell his congregation, you know, the, the thing that sets us apart as Christians it is not happiness. Because, you know, we don't like to admit it, but there are people in the world who are not Christians and they are happy. And, and it's not success. You know, you don't have to read the, very much of the Gospels to see pretty quickly that Jesus never equates discipleship with worldly success. And and it's not even mission, because there are a lot of people on this earth who are not followers of Jesus, who are doing a lot of good things in our world. He said, what sets us apart as Christians is that we live our lives as an expression of gratitude. That everything we do is an act of gratitude to God for what he's done for us. It shapes all that we say. It shapes all that we think. It shapes all of our actions. And it changes things. I think that's what Paul is, is getting at when he says in the first verses here about how we're struggling. They're struggling with life and the, and the difficulties of life. And he said that perseverance eventually gets us to hope. And there is in that, in that, pro, in that progression, uh, there is this underlying sense of gratitude that God is at work. And I can be thankful to God even when life isn't what I want it to be because I believe in who God is. And I believe in what God does. Adam and Eve lost that in the garden. When they sinned, well, I'll put it this way. I think, I think they lost the sense of gratitude for God and I think that made them susceptible and vulnerable to sin. Maybe that was when the sin really started. Because they, when they lost that sense of gratitude to God, they were vulnerable to the evil one saying to them, you know, God really isn't who he says he is. And God isn't going to do what he says he's going to do. And what ended up happening when they lost that sense of gratitude, they lost that relationship with God. And so that first night when God came to walk with them as he did every night, instead of being like a little child that runs down the sidewalk when mommy and daddy come home from a long day, they run into the woods and hide. Because God is no longer one to be cherished, he's one to fear. 
because we don't really trust him to be who he says he is. And, and instead of believing that God's going to supply their needs as he has done, they now have to hoard and grasp and clutch and, and get everything they can for themselves because God really isn't who he says he is. And Adam and Eve and their descendants, us, have been living with that struggle ever since. And the sad thing is, Adam and Eve didn't experience God's grace before they sinned because they deserved it. They never deserved God's grace. God didn't look at Adam and Eve and say, now there's a couple of really good people. I think I'm going to be gracious to them. He created them in grace. And, and he, he put them in the garden as an act of grace. And he watched over them as, an act, as acts of grace. It was all about God's grace. And they lost that. And we've lost it. And Paul's admonition to us is, it's still about grace. See it and accept it and, and celebrate it and give thanks for it. Because in the end, grace really isn't so much what God does as who God is. It is the very nature of God. I think we sometimes think that God's grace is just his activity. But it's it's his activity because it's who he is. And so when we look at the cross and and we think about what Christ has done for us on the cross, I think sometimes we see that as as sort of an act of grace that God did that he wrestled with, he thought about, he he pondered and then went, okay, yeah, I'll do that. No, the cross is simply the outworking of the nature of God. It's simply the fullest expression of who God is as one who is full of grace. And and our, our calling is to celebrate that. I think that, um, I think that that's why worship and gratitude are interconnected with each other. Because worship gives us the opportunity to express our gratitude. Even more than that, worship, worship gives us the ability to, um, to think about gratitude together when we probably often miss it by ourselves. You know, when we're living our daily lives, it's so easy to miss the grace of God. It's so easy to, to, to miss all the reasons for which we can give thanks to God for his grace. And so when we come together, we are reminding each other. We are living reminders of God's grace. And, and all that we do in worship is to help us remember that God is grace. And we have every reason in the world and beyond to be grateful. And we do it together. And that's why we... Adjusted the worship order today. You may have, if you hadn't looked at the bulletin, and I walked up this early, you're making, oh, thinking, oh my goodness, he's going to preach for 45 minutes today. Yikes. I saw a lot of the looks on your faces. Like, oh boy. Now, actually, as I was pondering this, it struck me that when it comes to, to gratitude and thinking about the grace of God, I think it, it seemed to me to make sense to talk a little bit about it and then to do it. 
and, and to, to exercise our to exercise our, our, our desire, our yearning to be grateful people and to see God's grace. And so for the rest of the service, next 30 minutes or so, we're, we're, going, to, we're going to do just that. We're going to do that through prayers of thanksgiving. We're going to do that through, um, through giving of our offerings as an expression of gratitude to God. We're going to do that through a litany that just reminds us that God is good. And we're going to do that through music. You know, music is one of those things that reaches down into our souls and, and helps us express the gratitude of our hearts. And as I was thinking about music, the one song that kept coming to my mind was the 18th century hymn, Rock of Ages. You know, in this hymn, he talks about not the labors of my hands could fulfill the law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for grace, all for could not atone. Only Christ can do what needs to be done for us. And it is in Christ that, that we come and we find grace in him who is described as the rock of ages. Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee, let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin. The double cure Cleanse me from its guilt and power Not the labors of my hands Could fulfill thy law's demands could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou To the cross I cling Naked come to Thee for dress Helpless I look to Thee for grace Foul I to the fountain fly Wash me, Savior I die 
breath. And when my eyelids close in death, and when I soar to worlds unknown, and see thee on thy judgment throne, rock of ages cleft for me. Let me hide myself in Thee.